Come on, put your hands together. You're in church. It is good to see you. Whether you're joining us at one of our in-person locations or online, I just want you to know that Jen and I are so glad that you're here today. And we're heading into the holiday season. Can you feel it in the air? I'm telling you. You can feel that like Thanksgiving is coming and then right after Thanksgiving there is Christmas. And I always do this poll every year. I'm just curious. How many of you already have all of your Christmas decor already up in your home? All right, come on, raise your hand. All right, how many of you, you haven't put up a thing yet, okay? My hand is up on that. We are the Dwart family, and we haven't done a thing category. Uh, and, and part of that is honestly because of our little guy, Paxton, and I'll explain that. You know, most of you know that our little guy, Paxton, he's 11 years old. He has special needs, and he loves Christmas, and I'm telling you, loves Christmas. In fact, if it could be Christmas 24-7, some of you are that way, uh, you know what, he would love it. And he uh, has a little bit of a speech delay. He cannot pronounce Christmas. He calls it Miss-Miss, all right? So we have Miss-Miss coming up uh, here in the next month. But we've discovered this. You're like, well, why don't you put the decor up? Well, we've discovered that the minute that we put up our Christmas tree in our living room, that every night after we go to bed, he sneaks out out of his room and he sits in front of the Christmas tree all night and he waits for the presents to arrive. Not just one night, every night. <laughs> Literally for an entire month we find him and, and like when we get up in the morning it's time to go to school, he's crashed in front of the Christmas tree. This is quite a dilemma because we're like, okay, when do we actually put out the tree? Because that means that for however long it's out, he doesn't sleep, and for an entire month, he turns into a little Grinch, is what he turns into. And it is not the most wonderful time of the year at the DeWord home. So, so pray for us. We're trying to figure this out. We're trying to figure out, when do we put out the tree? Because that means we hunker down and we don't sleep for that amount of time. But anyway, uh, yeah, we love, we love Miss Miss. Miss Miss is coming, ladies and gentlemen. Miss Miss is coming. But uh, today we begin a brand new series. It's called King of Hearts, And what we're talking about over the next two weeks is we're talking about our heart. And the Bible says that the source of all things you, in other words, who you are, is because of what is in your heart. In fact, it puts it this way. It says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, guard your heart. In other words, be careful what goes into it. Guard your heart above all else, which means above everything, because it is the source of of your life. Turn to the person next to you and say source. Source, all right? Another version says it this way. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So turn to the other person and say, everything you do comes from your heart, all right? You know what? More powerful than your circumstances, all right? You got to hear this. More powerful than your circumstances, more powerful than other people's choices that impact you, more powerful than both of those things, is what's in your heart. I know some of you are like, oh, no, that's not true. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know what people have done. I agree. Yes, circumstances do impact you. Yes, other people's choices definitely impact you. But more powerful than either of those things, or even both of those things, is the power of what is in your heart. It's what's inside of you that has the most influence in your life. And, and you say, okay, well, what's your heart? Well, here it is. This is how I define it, all right? Your heart are your thoughts, 
So in other words, what you think. It is your motive or your motives, in other words, why you do what you do, your desires, what you're like chasing after, and your worldview, how you see your world, these things frame your future more powerfully and more significantly than anything else. Because this is the reason why I know that. People that are even in terrible circumstances but have the right things in their heart, all of a sudden make their way through those terrible circumstances. They become overcomers. Like, like what's in your heart is truly the most powerful thing. In fact, um, if you have fear in your heart, guess what? Fear then frames your life. If you have greed in your heart, then guess what? Greed frames your thoughts, your motives, and your worldview. If you have bitterness in your heart, guess what? That frames your future, directs your life. Or if you have joy in your heart, no matter what your circumstances are or what other people have done, if you have joy in your heart, that then frames your future. You get the point of what I'm talking about. The key is to have the right things in your heart and then guard your heart very, very carefully. That's what the Bible is saying. In other words, be careful what comes in to your heart once you get the right things in there so you don't get a bad heart, you could say. And if Jesus is the king of your heart, then his thoughts, his motives, his desires, and his worldview should rule your heart. And your heart and your life, in other words, should reflect that, you could say. You know, there's many things we talk about in these two weeks. I mean, there's a lot of things that can make their way into our heart. There are good things, bad things. We could talk about a plethora of things. But instead, today, I want to talk about the subject of generosity. In other words, how to have a generous heart. And uh, it's a perfect time to do it. Say, why are you doing that? Well, you know what? This week we celebrate Thanksgiving. The next month we celebrate Christmas. This is the time, the perfect time to talk about how to have a generous heart. It's during this time that we as a culture, really even outside of faith, we focus on two things. We focus on gratitude, which is Thanksgiving. That's this week, right? And we focus on giving, which is the whole thing about Christmas. So it's a perfect time to calibrate our heart about how to have a generous heart rather than making this a season about just buying and getting. I don't know if your inbox or your social media feed or your actual snail mail mailbox is full of this. Mine is full of Black Friday promotions right now. Like everywhere, it's like Black Friday. Now Black Friday is not just Black Friday. It's like, you know, it's the whole month of November, right? And, and so we are being inundated with this idea of spend, buy, go out and get. That's what we've made our Thanksgiving and our Christmas season into. It's a lot of commercialism if, if you really want to boil it down. And so what we want to do today is we want to talk about how to have a generous heart. And, and yes, that may involve gift giving, okay? But I want to talk about generosity as a whole. And can I tell you this? The generosity is not just something that we should talk about during this season of the year. It should be 365, 24-7. We should really be a generous people if we're Christ followers. And so uh, in a couple of weeks here, like you've heard mentioned already in uh, the announcement video and, and such, that we have the legacy offering coming up. And it's the first two weekends of December. Why do we do this? We do this uh, not only because, yes, all the ministries here, they, they run off of people's generosity, but more importantly, and I mean before God I say this, 
I always put this right the first two weekends of December, this offering, because I think what it does is that it physically, emotionally, and spiritually calibrates us to put our focus on the right things during this season. If we don't watch out, if we don't watch out, Christmas can just be commercial. It can just be all things that we made it now in our Western culture. But rather, Christmas in its original form is about Jesus being born, and it's about joy to the world, peace on earth, and it's about us worshiping the Lord and Savior, the one that came to eventually die for us so that we can have salvation, a relationship with God, and heaven as our home someday. And so what we do is we do this, um, this legacy, you could say, offering to help us remember that our first and best gift really should be to God. And so um, the offering is a way of calibrating. Here's what the Bible talks about when it talks about um, generosity. It says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them to not be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. If they were doing a modern-day version, it would be to not set their hopes on the uncertainty of gasoline prices. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. They are to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, I know what you're thinking when I read this verse. You're thinking, well, of course, this verse is for all them rich people, right? Not, not me. And I understand why you think that. I mean, I understand why you think that. The, the reason why you think it is because you, you don't think you're rich because you don't, listen, you don't feel rich. You go, well, wait a minute. No, no, really. I, I, I look at my checking account. I look at the bills. I look at whatever. Well, I realize that you don't think you're rich because at the end of the day, especially us in America, we don't feel rich because what we do is we compare our, like, belongings, what we own, our income, our checking account, whatever, and we compare it to other people. It could be a coworker, It could be someone else in another, like, company. It could be a neighbor. It could be people on social media. And what we feel is, when we look at what their life is compared to our life, we feel less than. We feel like we have less money. We have less stuff. We have less options, less clothing or the nicer kind of clothing. Um, we, we have less travel, whatever it is. So, so I, I understand that. We don't, we don't feel rich. We don't feel rich. Um, in Forbes magazine, July 2022, so just a few months ago, um, they came out with an article and they basically said this, that uh, you have to make $597,000 a year to be considered in the top 1% of wage earners in our nation. So if you are in the top 1% of wage earners in general, you need to make a little south of $600,000 a year. Now, you know, when you hear that, you're like, well, yeah, again, that, those are the rich people. Those are the rich people, right? However, uh, when you compare yourself, though, to the rest of the world, not America, 
to the rest of the world, actually the picture drastically changes. Like, for example, let me just pick the country of China for a moment, all right? In China has over a billion people. It's pushing like 1.5 billion people here soon. Um, that is multiple times bigger than America, right? If you are going to be in the top 1% of wage earners in the country of China, you have to make $107,000 a year. Now, that's still a lot of money. All right, but drastically south of where we are in America. So, so really, to give a truer picture of that, let's not talk about the top 1%. Let's talk about the median income in China, okay? So we're talking over 1 billion people. Uh, median income, this is the average income if you live in China. It is $9,470 a year, okay? These are the people that make the phone that's in your pocket right now. $9,470 a year is the average median income in the country of China, over 1 billion people, which is one-eighth of the globe's population. Let's come back to America for a moment. If you were to actually look at the globe, don't look at just American income. Again, if you're in the top 1%, you got to make almost $600,000 a year. Let's take all people, 8 billion people, let's look at all of their wages that they make. Everywhere from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Let's put that all in the equation for a moment. If you in America make $34,000 a year or more, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. The top 1% in the world. Let me put it another way. If you have a car, if you have direct TV, if you have the internet in your house or apartment, if you have clean running water, there are billions, not millions, billions of people that would look at you and say, you are so rich. See, rich is a pretty relative term. And I'm not saying this. It got really quiet in here, by the way. I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. You should not feel guilty. All right? This is not a sermon on making you feel guilty. This is not like I'm guilt tripping you into feeling like you're so bad because you have the internet and clean running water. Okay? That is not, that is not the goal here. My point is, is this, I'm helping you reframe the term rich because we only know what we know. And so when we say rich, we think of all those people over there in Beverly Hills. That's what we think of when we think of, no, no, no. That is American rich. Let's instead talk about rich to the world because this verse is pertaining to the globe, not just America. And so as we look at the term rich, let's go back to that verse again. Let's go back and see what it says, and let's look at it in first person. In other words, as for the rich, now we've determined what rich is, right? It's a little different than what we thought. In fact, I'd even say this, even if you don't make $34,000 a year, every one of us, most likely 99.9% .9 of us are in the top 20% of wage earners in the world, okay? So the top fifth, you could say. And, and, and as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. In other words, nor should we set our hopes, I'm making a first person, we should not set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, and we all know that, right? So those of us that have 401ks, 403bs, mutual funds, I'm telling you, it's right, right now. But on God, 
who richly provides you with everything to enjoy, you are to do good, Paul says. You are to be rich in good works. You are to be generous. You are to be ready to share, storing up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future. We'll talk about that next week. So that we may take hold of that which is truly life. Isn't it weird we live in such a prosperous nation comparatively to the rest of the world based upon the data I just gave you? And yet so many people in America don't feel like they're truly living life. It's because maybe true life isn't about how much money you have or how many things you have. You know, if if you have a junk drawer in your home, a junk drawer, like I have a junk drawer. Those are things that you put in there and you think to yourself, I really don't use this, but I don't want to get rid of this. If you have a junk drawer, that right there speaks to a level of affluence that most of the world does not have. I mean, does that make sense? Paul is not condemning riches here. He's not looking at it and going, it's bad that you have a junk drawer. It's bad that you have running water. It's bad that you have a car. It's bad that you have shelter over your head. He's not saying any of that. Do you notice in this verse, he's not condemning it at all. What he's doing is, is this. He's trying to give us a heart of generosity. He's doing heart work. He's trying to talk about who's the king of your heart And what really this is telling us is it tells us this, that with blessing comes great responsibility. So it isn't wrong to have blessing. If you have blessing, then that means you got to up your responsibility. With blessing comes great responsibility. It sounds a little bit like Spider-Man, only it talks about power, with great power. Okay, anyway, this thing, all right. The thing is, is we have this term in America, and we say that cash is king. If you go to buy something and you have cash, it's king. What Paul is probably trying to say here is, is cash king your heart or is Jesus king your heart? What's your source, in other words? Paul would say maybe this if he was making the modern day version of the Bible, uh, this letter. He would maybe write, he'd say, you know, some people are so poor, all they got is money. If you want to be rich, be rich in good works, he says. If you want to be rich, be rich in giving. Be rich in sharing. In fact, the Bible has mega themes. And you would think there are some mega themes that, that are important. Like, for, the, for example, the word believe. Like, that's an important thing. Like, believing is an important thing in the Bible. It's mentioned 272 times, that ver- word or thought. Um, pray, yeah, that's an important one, right? I mean, in the Bible we go, well, prayer is a mega theme. Well, prayer is 371 times it's mentioned. How about the word love? You know, love your neighbor, love your enemy, um, God is love. I mean, love is a mega theme, right? Mentioned 714 times. How about the term give? Give is mentioned 2,161 times. Can I tell you something? A mega theme in the Word of God is generosity. In fact, so much so, John 3.16, probably the most famous verse, you've seen it at football games, all right, says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son to basically save the world, to die on a cross, to save it. See, giving is a mega theme of God. Giving is a mega theme of the word of God, which means generosity 
And I'm not just talking money, okay? Again, I wish I could deprogram the American out of you for a moment. Because the minute I say generosity, you think dollar bills. It's not just dollar bills. It's your time. It's your resource. It's the stuff you have. It's the, it's the ability to help somebody else. And yes, it does include your wallet. It includes it all. Generosity. How can we have a heart of generosity? Well, Paul talks um, to this church in Corinth, and we, we, we have a letter of his, actually two of them, and um, it's called First and Second Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. He's writing the Apostle Paul, who is kind of like this church planter. That's what Paul is. He's an apostle, which means he's a church planter. And what he does is he plants churches all over the Roman world at the time, all over the Roman Empire. And one of them that he planted was in the city of Corinth. And Corinth was a very uh, affluent city. In fact, we believe this. Out of all the churches that Paul planted, Corinth was the most affluent church. They had the most money. They had the most resource. They mo had the most opportunity. Um, they were business people. Um, they were in a place that there was a lot of commerce and things like that, a lot of trade going on. And so uh, Paul is writing them a letter, and he's writing them a letter, and he starts talking about a church that he had helped plant in another area of the world called Macedonia. So he's talking to the Corinthians about the Macedonians, and this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, Now, brothers and sisters... We want you, meaning him and the other apostles, want you to know about the grace that God has given. Now, grace there, the word grace is not the same word as amazing grace, all right? But rather, the word grace there in the original Greek means gift. It means generosity. And so, in other words, he goes, I'm telling you, Corinth, I want you to know about this gift that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial. In other words, there must be an underneath some type of persecution. Their overflowing joy, and listen to this, their extreme poverty. It's interesting. Paul is describing the Macedonian church, and he's saying they have extreme poverty going on right now. He doesn't just say poverty. He says extreme poverty. Welled up in rich generosity. So he's saying to the Corinthian church, hey, the Macedonians, they're under like persecution. They don't have a lot of money. They're in extreme poverty, and yet they were super generous. For I um, can testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. In other words, he's going, this is not coerced. They weren't, you know, watching some some late night, you know, TV show and someone's trying to sell them a prayer cloth and if you give $100 kind of thing. But rather, he said, on their own, on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. What's going on here? Okay, Paul is actually asking all of his churches to collect an offering. It's like a legacy offering. And basically what he's saying is, we're going to collect an offering, and we're going to help people find faith. And actually they were like targeting that offering to a third church that was in Jerusalem. And so he's telling all the churches, let's take up an offering for this other church, all right, in Jerusalem. And, uh, and what we're seeing here is that Paul said we had to urgently plead the Macedonians and, and they, they, excuse me, they urgently pled, uh, the Macedonians did, to Paul to be able to participate. And so the inference here is that Paul was trying to talk the Macedonian church out of giving. Paul was saying, you guys are being persecuted right now. There's extreme poverty. You don't have to give. 
And yet the Macedonians urgently pleaded and they were like going, no, please allow us to be a part of this offering. Even though we have very little, we want to be in. We are all in. So Paul's telling this to the church in Corinth. He says this, and they exceeded our expectation. They gave themselves. And that's important. Because what he's saying there is they didn't just give money. They gave their heart. See, when you give, your heart has to be in it. It, it, what he's saying is the Macedonian church didn't get their arm twisted or felt guilted into it and like, yeah, whatever, here. It wasn't that at all. In other words, Paul says they gave themselves. In other words, their heart was in their offering, it says. And, and so, um, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus. Titus was the guy going around and basically collecting the offerings from all of these churches to bring it to Jerusalem. Just as he had earlier made a beginning to, all, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you, now he's changing back. Now he's talking to the Corinthians, okay? He's talking about the master. Macedonians, now he's talking to the Corinthians. He goes, you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you. And so in other words, he's going, you guys, Corinth, you, you excel in a lot of things. See to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. Remember the word grace there means gift. Excel in this gift of giving. So he's looking at Corinth and he's going, Look at what Macedonia, you know what Paul's doing here? He's creating a little competition. That's what he's doing. He's creating a little competition here. He's, he's almost doing one of those like, like almost kind of like you ever heard of a matching offering before? Someone gave a thousand bucks. If we can raise a thousand bucks, we'll have to, you know, that kind of, what Paul's doing, he's going, hey, listen, Macedonia, who's in extreme poverty, gave well beyond their means. Surprised all of us. Now, Corinth, you excel in a lot of things. Corinth, you're the most affluent church in all the churches. Now, you know what I want you to do? I want you to excel in the gift of giving. That's what he's really saying here. And so he goes on to say, I'm not commanding you. In other words, I'm not arm twisting you. I'm not going to be like looking at you or, you know, while you're giving. But I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Who? Macedonia. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, in other words, Jesus is God. He has everything. He's in heaven. What did he do? Yet for our sake, your sake, he, came, he became poor. He became us. He, he was God. He became human. In other words, so that you may through his poverty be, become rich. In other words, Jesus modeled irrational generosity. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, he says to Corinth, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness, in other words, your heart, to do it may be matched by your co completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, in other words, your heart is in it, the gift is acceptable. In other words, it's a heart issue. According to what one has, not according to what one does not have. You know, I know what we all think. We all think, when I get more, I'll give more. <laughs> That's what we all think. When I have more, I'll, I'll, I'll then give more. And, and I've noticed this in, in my own life. I've noticed this in people being a pastor now for 30 years plus. I've noticed if you can't give a part of $5,000, you'll never give a part of $50,000. 
And if you can't give a part of $50,000, you never give a part of $500,000. It, it's just the way we're built. Money has a weird kind of thing. In a, it, people get funny when you talk about money. That's why there aren't a lot of amens today. Can I be honest with you? I mean, there just aren't. I mean, it's kind of one of these, oh, he's taking us to the woodshed today. No, I'm not taking you to the woodshed. I'm really not. That's not my heart. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to do any of these things. I'm trying to unlock for you a heart of generosity. And in America, unfortunately, a lot of that's tied to our wallet. It's not just our wallet, but it's tied to our wallet. And so, you know, in this story, there are a few truths that I want to kind of like close with today. The first one is this we find in the story. When you give, we are to give with happiness. Giving should not be coerced, it should not be arm twisted, it should not be guilted, it shouldn't be any of those things. You know, I mean, I know, I know there are churches out there and, I, and, you know, and such like that, that they, they actually will call their people if their people haven't given. Hey, we haven't noticed they haven't given in a little while. City First will never do that. And the reason why is because you should never give out of coercion. You should always give um, out of happiness. In fact, uh, the idea is that God's blessed you with whatever he's blessed you with, and so therefore you're grateful and you want to give back. You don't have to give, you get to give. Does that make sense? There's a difference with it. In fact, this is reaffirmed with what Paul talks about in, uh, in another portion of the letter to the Corinthians. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You uh, must each decide in your heart. You decide in your heart. You figure it out. I figure it out. Does that make sense? We figure it out how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives, what's that word? Cheerfully, not out of, out of obligation. It's kind of like this Christmas. If my you know, my boys, if they were to give me a gift, they give me a gift every year. You know, I mean, we give gifts on Christmas morning. And, 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 and if they were to do it this way, if this was their tone, if they were to look at me and it's Christmas morning, imagine the word family sitting around the Christmas tree. We're opening up gifts. And all of a sudden, my boys look at me and they go, well, it's Christmas, which means we have to give you a gift. So, Dad, we, uh, we kind of like, we're like, what? What's the least amount that we can pool together and get you a gift? And so today, this is what we're giving you. Merry Christmas, Dad. Now, now you know, that's, that's obnoxious, right? I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't even make sense. But how would I feel as a father if that's what my kid's attitude was towards giving to me, especially, now we've just recently had one of our boys move out and he's on his own. But especially if all of them were underneath my care and they have what they have because I've given it to them. <laughs> especially with young kids and those of you have young kids, right? It's like, what do you do? Uh, they're young kids and, and they may go to school and like, you know, they have a, like a little Christmas like thing where you can bring a couple of bucks as a child and you can pick from a table a little trinkets and that's what you give your parents. Well, what do you do? We did this for years, right? Here, here's five bucks. Go to school and pick out my gift. That's kind of the way it is with us and God. Everything he's given to us. Even, you're like, no, I'm a self-made person. Really? 
You telling me that the abilities and the talents that he's given you, that those are yours and not his, and the opportunities, the open doors that he's, you know, I don't know if I'd say that out loud. Because <laughs> I think of it this way. Everything we have, including the oxygen in our lungs, has been given to us by God. And so, you know what? Right? Jesus said it this way in, in Acts chapter 20. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That word blessed there, I highlighted it. That word bless is actually translated in English. It's in the Greek. It means happy. In other words, you're happiest when you give and not when you receive. And those of you that are parents know that. In fact, our Heavenly Father, that's times a bazillion that He is so happy to bless us. In the same way on Christmas morning, for those of you who have kids, you watch them open up the presents and you're like, this makes me happy. Like they gave me a trinket. I don't care that they gave me a trinket. I am so happy to bless my kids. That's the way God looks at us. He's so happy to do that. So that's why even with this legacy offering, like, you know, this is not something like, well, I'm skipping the first two weeks of December because they're taking up an offering. Okay, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, you, you laugh, but <laughs> we watch attendance kind of go during those two weeks. Don't be that way. Instead, say, you know what? I'm excited to give back a little bit of what God has given to me. Let's give with happiness. Let's give with joy, right? <laughs> Real quickly, number two, when you give, give sacrificially. Um, there's a guy who he's, uh, now I don't think he, I think he's passed away, but uh, a business leader uh, by the name of Stephen Covey. He's written a lot of books back in the day, and those of you that are in business may, may know about him. Um, but he came up with this, he coined a term. I think he was the one that coined it. I can't find anybody else that's coined it. I think it's him that was the first. Um, it's called scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset. And what a scarcity mindset is basically when somebody looks like this pie, and they look and they say, well, um, this is all I have. And this is all um, the resource, all the money, all the stuff, all the opportunity. Um, there's no more than that. Like I, only, I have limited amounts of opportunity. I have limited amounts of resource. I, I'm limited. And it's called a scarcity mindset. And he wrote about this in a book. And, uh, and what happens is, is then, you know, along comes, you know, the pastor talking about God and and, and basically that we're supposed to give a little slice of this, of what everything that God's given to us. We're to give a little slice, in a sense, back to God. And, um, you know, anybody like pumpkin pie here? Anybody like pumpkin pie? All right, I promise I washed my hands before this. All right, I see that hand. I see that hand. Can you pass that back? Third row, third row, okay. Come on. I know, I saw that hand. You got excited about the pumpkin pie. All right, so anyway. A scarcity mindset goes, well, may, wait a minute. If I give back to God or if I give even... To, to, to of my time or my my energy or my resources or if I give it away then 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 that's less I have less and 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 now I only have this uh, opportunity I only have this resource I only have this financially and 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 Stephen Covey it's it's amazing it was a businessman that came up with this he calls that a scarcity mindset when when really there's way more opportunity way more resource, way more finance than what you see 
that you have opportunity to. In fact, I, I put it this way. God has a, a great verse in, in Proverbs, and it says this in Proverbs 11. The world of the generous gets bigger and bigger. So, so here's the thing. You may start here, and when you give to God, you know what? We look at it as like, well, now a piece of my pie is gone. Oh, man, I got to really, I got to hoard this. I got to be careful. I got to protect it. God says, no, because you have given, because you have a heart of generosity, I'm going to eventually give you a bigger pie. And, and this is what I've discovered in my own life. I've discovered that God wants me to be a conduit. He doesn't want me to be a swamp. A swamp is when water runs in and stops and stagnates. A conduit is like a pipe where, in other words, water flows through the pipe. And as blessing comes to me, I take a portion. Of it. God has never said, give everything away. Now, he may, but uh, he's never done that to me. He probably has never done that to you. He's not asking you to forgive it all away. But guess what? He's saying, give a portion and bless others. And when you do that, he gives you more. The, the world of the generous gets bigger and bigger. But it goes on to say in that verse, and you can put it back up there, it says this, that the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. It's a scarcity mindset. It's a scarcity mindset, right? So, so give sacrificially or what you believe to be is sacrificial, but God sees it. And guess what? He begins to expand your world. Lastly, last point, three, when you give, give strategically. Give strategically. I always say this. Give to the things that God believes are important. Give to the things that God believes are important. You say, what are those things? Well, I'll tell you, in the Bible, especially New Testament, his church and reaching people. In other words, give to what is going to be eternal. Everything that we have right now is, is temporary. I have never seen a U-Haul in the back of a hearse. You can't take it with you. Do you know everything you own right now, including your money, by the way, everything that you own is going to be someone else's someday. It's going to go in a garage sale. It may be passed down to other generations, which is great. Uh, hopefully that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But, but my point is, is this, is that it all becomes somebody else's. You can't take it with you. What can you take with you? Your relationship with God and people. And Jesus is the head of the church. In fact, people ask me all the time, who runs City First, really? I'm like, Jesus. It's really true. I mean, you look in the New Testament. He goes, I will build my church. It's not I will build Jeremy's church. I will build my church. I'm stewarding it. I'm here for a season. Now, hopefully it's a long season. But my point is, is this. Like, like, I'm just here for a season. And yet I'm stewarding it. And someone else was stewarded after me. So what do we give to? We give to things that are eternal. And many of you that are in business, you've heard the term ROI Return on investment, that when you make an investment, you want return on that investment. Um, I want to frame it a little bit different. We talk about this around here. It's, it's E-R-O-I, eternal return on investment. What are you investing into that's going to land in heaven someday? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad. Give to the Fine Arts Center. I'm, I'm happy with that. Give to the animal shelter. Give to, give to all kinds of the causes that are out there right now. That is good. That is good. But... Your primary and your first giving should be to things that are going to land in heaven someday. That You know what? It's, it's like, really it comes down to this, that Jesus talks about the church, which is us, by the way. The church will be eternal, will go to heaven. And that people, 
that we bring with us. You know, someday we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account of all of our resource and how we invested it in a way that there is E-R-O-I. So give first and primarily to the things that are eternal. As I close, I received a letter this week from a gal who lives in Tennessee. She's a part of our City First Anywhere family watching online at locations all over. And um, she used to live in Rockford, and her career took her to Tennessee. And she wrote a letter and had a little offering in it, and they passed the letter on to me. Um, and it said, this is a portion of it, it was a longer letter, but she said this, I pass on my blessings to others by giving my tithes and offerings, especially to the COVID relief fund. She was talking about how that her offerings, she gave over and beyond to that. It's always a prayer of mine, Lord, bless me so that I can bless others. Lord, bless me so that I can bless others because you'll bring more blessings so that I can bless others. You see what I'm saying? In fact, it even says in Genesis 12, 2, when God is speaking to Abraham, he goes, I'm blessing you to be a blessing. She goes on to say this, that uh, use me, Lord, in whatever way you need. God holds up his end of my prayers. I make sure to hold up mine. Let's go ahead and pray, all right? Lord, we just, in the last few moments here, we just say thank you. We say thank you that um, you blessed us with so much. And I just ask that you would um, help us to have a, a heart of generosity. May you be the king of our heart. Your priorities, your worldview, your motives, your desires. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen, amen. Thank you, City First. We love you very, very much. And before you dismiss, let me just say this. If you want to find out more about what it means to have a faith in Jesus Christ or you need prayer, there are teams of people that are out in a room that we have a little prayer room. They would answer your questions. They'd love to pray with you about anything. Go out the door, take a left. Otherwise, on the seat, you'll see a little bookmark. Take that with you. Be praying what God wants you to do in the legacy offering. God bless and have a wonderful week. We'll see you next weekend.